let's dive in. Unshakable part five. Part five, we're talking about Elijah today. He's one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. The stories in Elijah's life are just amazing. And so I wanna encourage you, I'm gonna talk about it today, but, but I want you to go this week to 1 Kings 16 and read all the way through 1 Kings 19. Because I'm gonna reference, you know, stories from Elijah's life today, but it would be a great study for you this week to just dive in and learn about Elijah. But this series that we're in called Unshakable, it's all about what does it look like to be unshakable when life is kind of crazy, to live an uncompromised life. And so we've been looking at Old Testament characters. We've looked at David and Deborah and Samson. Um, and so if you have missed any of these, go online to our website and you can catch up. But can you remember a time in your life when something amazing came out of horrible circumstances? right? Maybe you broke down on the side of the road and you thought the vacation was ruined, but it turned out better than ever, right? I had two friends uh, back in Illinois that just had an amazing, amazing story. And out of horrible circumstances, something amazing came. Both of them, both the husband and the wife were previously married, and both of them lost their spouse prematurely to sickness at a young age. And so God brought the two of them together, having the same horrible past experience of losing their spouse. And they loved each other and got married. And they, they loved Jesus to put God first in their life. And, and now the, the two sons of the man that lost their mom have a new mom. And man, they're loving Jesus and, and God's doing amazing things with their life. And I'm sure that there's stories like that in this room. Of out of horrible circumstances, God shows up and does something amazing. I know some of you have had, have had kids that were prodigals and you didn't know what was going to happen, but God intervened and brought that kid back to Christ and, and made them new. And now there's a whole new outlook on, on, on life. And even out of horrible circumstances, God did something amazing. And so when I hear stories like this, and when I read these stories in, in Elijah, man, what does it tell me? That there is no reason to shrink back when things are tough. Because listen, in the darkest places, Christ's light shines the brightest. Man, church, if there's anything that you get in your heart that is gonna ground you when life gets shaken, you have got to hear this. When life gets darkest, Christ's light is going to shine brightest. This is something that's hard to remember when things get dark, when things get grim, when things get tough. But you just have to remember that this is an opportunity for Christ's power to be on display in your life. It was tough in the days of Elijah. After King Solomon died, the kingdom broke in half. There was a northern kingdom and there was the kingdom of Judah. It was like a big family split, right? There was civil war, there was rebellion against God. And along in 1 Kings chapter 16, there comes a king named Ahab. And in 1 Kings 16, it says that he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other of, of the other kings 
of Israel before him, right? And so Ahab comes along, he marries a bad woman that is just bad news. Have you ever had a kid and they started dating somebody and you're like, "Uh -uh, uh uh-uh, uh-uh, they're bad news for you. You need to stay away from him or her. That, you know, just stay away, run away, run the other direction. Well, Ahab didn't listen. And he married this bad woman named Jezebel. That's why sometimes you hear, you hear people use that term. They say, oh, that, that woman's a Jezebel. All because of this woman, right? And so Ahab was an evil man. He had no spine. He had no backbone. In 1 Kings 16.34, it says this. It says, it was during his reign, Ahab's reign, that Hiel, a man from Bethel, re- not Bethel, Ohio, like Bethel, over there, rebuilt Jericho. When he laid its foundations, it cost him the life of his oldest son, Abiram. And when he completed it and set up the gates, it cost him the life of his young son, Sagab. This all happened according to the message from the Lord concerning Jericho, spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Just to give you a little Bible refresher, Joshua led the Israelites in the wilderness into the prom- from the wilderness into the promised land. They marched around Jericho for six days, one time. On the seventh day, they marched around seven times. The walls fell, right? Massive victory, right? And so years later, along comes Ahab, along comes this guy named Hiel, and they're rebuilding what God tore down, right? Dark days. Have you ever felt like in life that you're taking one step forward and then two steps back? Like you've got some progress going, you're making some strides in your relationship with Jesus, maybe you're overcoming some difficulties in your life, and all of a sudden it's like what was torn down is getting rebuilt, and not the things you want to rebuild, Maybe that bitterness is coming back. Maybe the the addiction is coming back. Maybe those things that you thought you had licked are starting to creep into your life again. Well, that was happening not just on a personal level, but on a national level in the nation of Israel like crazy. And just like in this whole series, we're talking about what do we do when the world falls apart around you? When ground you already took gets taken back. And we got to remember, and what we'll see through the life of Elijah is that God is still working. And so Elijah comes on the scene in 1 Kings chapter 17. And he walks right up to Ahab. And with confidence, he makes a prediction. And so the first thing we see from the life of Elijah is that unshakable people walk in confidence. Unshakable people have a, just a, a realm of confidence about them. They are walking in confidence. And so confidently, Ahab walked, or Elijah walks up to Ahab and he says this, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve. Now, I can just imagine Elijah is using a little bit of swagger here. He's like, the God I serve, because Ahab, you ain't, you're, you ain't serving him, right? The God I serve. There will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Can you imagine the confidence that it would take to go and to speak on God's behalf in front of a king? Giving orders to an evil king that didn't care about God would take guts. Elijah also knew that this drought 
that he was prophesying about would also affect him personally. Think about that. It wasn't just Israel that it would affect, it was going to affect him. Three years and six months of no rain. Listen, you don't just walk in confidence towards others. You walk in confidence when, when the tough decisions are also going to affect you. Maybe God's leading you to walk away from a job. Or God's leading you to tell the truth even when it might affect you things adversely for you. Maybe telling the truth in your workplace might get you in trouble somehow. But God's leading you to be a truthful person that stands up for honesty. Maybe God's calling you to step into a new venture. But the outlook is unsure and it might cost you something. Maybe God's calling you to invite your friend to church, but man, you're just not sure what they're going to say. Maybe God's calling you to tell your story to your neighbor. Maybe God's calling you to pray for or with your coworker, and then you're just not sure because you're not sure what's going to happen to you. Well, when Elijah stepped before this king and said, hey, no rain, there was a personal consequence for him as well. After Elijah confidently made his proclamation to the king, God provided for him miraculously. After, right? He goes out and he goes to this brook and he drinks from the brook and God brings him food carried by ravens. Can you imagine? Day after day and after the brook dried up, he went to a town and, and he was instructed to go to a widow and ask that widow to feed him. And, and guess what? The widow barely had anything in her house, but hey, the flour and the oil in her jars never went dry as long as she kept feeding the prophet. It's an amazing story. Like I said, read about it this week. While Elijah was staying with that widow, her son died. Guess what? God used Elijah to bring that boy back to life. Amazing things happen when you walk, walk confidently, not in yourself, but in who God is and what he can do in your life. And so we see as an example from Elijah that unshakable people walk in confidence. The second thing that we see in the life of Elijah is that unshakable people put truth on display. They put truth on display. And so get this. <clears throat> After Elijah raised this boy from the dead, God says, hey, Elijah, there's going to be a showdown. And so Elijah goes to King Ahab and he says, hey, bring all of the prophets of Baal, which was a false god that they worshipped, all the prophets of the Asherah, Pole, these other things that they worshipped, bring them to Mount Carmel. And by the way, bring all the people of Israel too. And so King Ahab gathered all the people of Israel and all the prophets totaling 850 in all brought him to, to Mount Car Carmel. And so in 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah stands before all the people and he says this. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord God, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Right? He puts the truth on display. He's like, hey, choose. Who are you going to follow? Who is the one that is true? Who is the real God? So he says, don't waver. 
How long are you going to waver? And guess what happened? The people said nothing. The people said nothing. No one spoke up. No one. Now, can you imagine when Elijah puts the truth on on display, but no one will stand with him? But this is what unshakable people do. Unshakable people are confident, but the people were silent. Now, you've heard me talk um, sometimes, if you've been around Mosaic a while, that, man, I believe that every church should be made up of thirds, and we're a three-chair church. And the first chair represents unbelievers, the second chair represents new believers, and the third chair represents mature believers. And we need to be a church where all three chairs can be represented. Why? Because this needs to be a safe place where people who haven't met Christ yet can come and hear the teachings of Jesus that can change and transform their life. Amen? And so I can imagine that this group of of Israelites standing before Elijah were kind of like a a three-chair church. They were all Israelites, but that doesn't mean that they all believed in God. That doesn't mean that all of them were at the same place in their journey. It doesn't mean that all of them were as committed to God as the next. And so I can imagine that there were some unbelievers that when they heard that, they said nothing because they were just processing and if you're here today and you don't know, you know, where you're at with this whole God thing, you don't know if you believe in Jesus or not, I just want to say you're in the right place. And it's okay if you, if you hear a challenge and, and then you're just processing. But man, there's going to come a day when you have to choose. When you're presented with the truth that Christ died for you on the cross, he rose again from the third day, and now what are you going to do with that? It's the most important decision that you'll ever make in your entire life. What are you going to do with Jesus? And man, I encourage you to keep coming, keep learning about God's word, keep learning about Jesus, but know that, man, my prayer for you is that you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ because he is the way, the truth and the life. I can imagine that there's some the second chair people in that crowd that are still learning that still small voice that is convicting them of the things in their life that they know they need to change and they need to submit to the process of the Holy Spirit refining them. And so I can just imagine that some people when they heard Elijah say, don't waver, right? That they're just kind of like struggling with that. They're like, oh man, I know God, you want me to take a stand, but uh, there's just still a little fear and timidity there. And then there's those people that knew better in the crowd. That when Elijah said, don't waver. Come on, we got to choose. Who are you going to serve? And they didn't say anything. And for them to say nothing is puzzling. And I just want to challenge you, church, man, if you've been sitting in the pew a long time, you've made some decisions to follow Christ, but you're not stepping out and doing what you know God is calling you to do, then maybe you think about this. Where am I putting God's truth on display in my life? Because God's calling you to do it. It's like, you know, and and when we do that, it's almost like having the cure for cancer, but keeping it a secret. Who would do that? Right? We don't do that with God's truth. We put it on display. And so Elijah challenges the prophets to a duel, right? And so They both set up sacrifices that they're going to sacrifice to their God. And so the deal was, hey, you pray for your sacrifice and I'll pray for mine. And whichever God sends down fire to burn up the sacrifice, that's the true God. 
And so the prophets of Baal, they danced around all morning and their gods didn't do anything because they weren't real. They were false gods. You know, and it, the funny thing is that, the, is that the god Baal that they were worshiping was supposed to have power over the weather and he couldn't even send down lightning to light their sacrifice. They danced all afternoon. They began to cut themselves and bleed as a sign they were crying out to their gods to come. But their gods were silent. Elijah, after they were done, and, and I love it because Elijah's over there trash talking and he's kind of like taunting them. And he's like, hey, your gods must be sleeping. What's going on? And so it comes Elijah's turn and what does he do? He tells his helpers to dig, di dig a ditch. Dig a ditch around his sacrifice. And then not, not only that, bring buckets and buckets and buckets of water and pour water all over it. Fill up the ditch. Keep bringing it. Keep bringing the water. And after they poured a bunch of water over it, he said, do it again. And so they pour water all over it again. And if, and if you have ever started a fire, that's not what you do, right? You might pour some kerosene or... If you're really crazy, you might pour some gasoline, but, <laughs> but not, not water. Man, back when I, uh, working with a, one of my buddies in ministry, we used to talk about this concept all the time of digging a ditch. Hey, we're going to dig a ditch and just see what God does. Man, we're going to dig a ditch and see if God will fill it. We're going to dig a ditch. And, and it's this metaphor to me of, man, we're going to do the hard work of preparing a place for God to move and preparing a place for God to speak. And we believe that when we dig that ditch, God's going to fill it. And so Elijah dug the ditch. He filled it with water. He pours it out all over his sacrifice. And then what does he do? After the prophets of Baal had danced and sang all day and cried out and cut themselves and done all this crazy stuff the whole entire day, Elijah just simply asks God, God, show up. Here's my sacrifice, light it up, right? God consumes it all with fire in a flash. In a flash, fire falls from heaven, licks it all up, including all of the wire, it's gone. Can you imagine? At that moment, all the Israelites dropped to the ground, cried out that God is the one true God. And, and, and you know, at this point, they knew who they were going to choose, right? Now, for you and for me, sometimes we are like, God, why can't you show up in my life just like that? Just send fire down from heaven and just, just give me a sign. And I would just encourage you, he already has. He sent his one and only son to die in your place on a cross, rose again on the third day. Man, my, my prayer to, to God is, God, if you never do another thing for me in my entire life, I want what you did on the cross for me to be enough. And so I just want to encourage you. God's already shown up. He's already done every miracle known to man. It's time to choose. He's still showing up. He's still doing miracles. But it's time to choose. I love what it says in Galatians 5.25. It says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Why do I say that? Because Elijah put God's truth on display in a dramatic way. 
But how you and I are going to put God's truth on display in our lives might not be quite that dramatic, right? It might not look just like that. But God is still calling you and me to live unshakable lives by putting truth on display through our lives. And so I love what this verse says, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And so what does that say? If we're going to put truth on display through our life, then we need to say something with our lives, right? We need to add value to the people around us. We need to lead ourselves. We need to lead our family. We need to be different. When people look at us, they need to see a life that has been touched by grace, that's been cleansed, that's been been made right in God's sight. And because it's been made right in God's sight, we're no longer doing the things we used to do, right? And it's not only what your t-shirt says. You know, some people like to put in that Christian t-shirt and they're like, look, I'm a Christian. It's like, no, it's not just what your t-shirt says. It's not just what you say on Facebook when you post that Bible verse, which is awesome. Keep posting, but that's not it. That's, that's not all that it means to put God's truth on display in your life. It's not just what you listen to or don't listen to. It's not just what you watch or don't watch. That's not the only way you put God's truth on display in your life. It's also how you treat people. How you treat people. Your consistency. Your testimony. The people that don't know you go to church. The people, your coworkers that maybe don't know you're a follower of Christ yet. When they look at your life, Do they see something different? Are you putting God's truth on display in your life? Are you digging those ditches in your life and asking God to fill it? What does it look like to dig a ditch in your life? Are you you getting up or staying up late to get in God's word and seek his face and let him transform your heart and by the renewing of your mind, are are you doing the hard work to say, God, fill me. God, send your fire down into my life so that my life can be a display of your truth. What, ditch, what ditches are you digging? How intentionally are you putting the truth on display through your life? The third thing we see through Elijah's life is that unshakable people are still people. You see, it's easy to look at amazing people like Elijah and be like, oh man, they just had something I don't. But look what happens next. So Elijah calls, after, after this, this big showdown with the prophets of Baal happened, you know how three and a half years before Elijah had said, hey, no rain. Well, Elijah says, Ahab, you better go home, rain's coming. And so Elijah calls down the rain. And after the clouds come in and the rain starts to fall, Elijah runs, literally runs. It says that he tucks his cloak into his belt And he runs ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to Jezreel. Guess how far that was? 13 miles. So Elijah runs faster than a horse-drawn chariot all the way to Jezreel, 13 miles. Why? Because God gave him special strength to do it. And so Ahab gets back to Jezebel, tells her what happens. And by the way, after the fire came down on the sacrifice... (laughs) <laughs> all of the prophets of Baal, is the, the people of Israel turned on them and killed them all. And so Ahab tells Jezebel, hey, all your prophets, they're all gone. 
Ahab made a fool of us, or Elijah made a fool of us in front of the whole country. And so Jezebel is hot. She's mad. And so I think she knows that she's got nothing on Elijah. I think she knows that. And so the only ploy that she has is to threaten to kill him. And so she makes that threat public. Elijah hears about the threat that Jezebel is going to come after him and kill him. And guess what happens to Elijah? He gets afraid. Remember, unshakable people are still people. So after Mount Carmel, after showing up all the prophets, after calling down rain after three and a half years, after running that record-setting half marathon, after raising a boy from the dead, after God bringing him food from ravens, after the flower pot and the oil pot never running dry, after all these miracles, the man of God all of a sudden is gripped by fear. In 1 Kings 19.3, it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Have you ever said that to yourself? I've had enough. Take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. The next time you hit a real low point in life, you just have to remember that Elijah, this guy who was used in an amazing way, had low points too. Unshakable people are still people. Listen, there's a lot of things in life that can make you feel like a failure. And I'm not sure exactly what made Elijah feel so afraid. I'm not sure exactly what got him to this point. Maybe, man, he just carried the the load for so long on his own that he just got tired. Maybe he was worn out after that 13-mile run. Who knows? But there's a lot of things that can make you feel like a failure. Maybe you've been a part of a failing marriage. Maybe you've been through a bitter divorce or been separated. Maybe you're a single parent. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've been unable to find a job. Maybe at points in your life you've been unable to support your family. Maybe you haven't been recognized the way you feel like you should at work and not got that promotion. Maybe you don't have the right kind of job, whatever that is, and you just feel like you never made it. Maybe you're younger and you're failing to make good grades in school. Maybe you dropped out of school. Maybe you've been addicted to drugs or alcohol or some other life-controlling addiction and, and you just feel like you've been nothing but a failure. Maybe you feel powerless to help a loved one who is sick or in trouble and there's just nothing you can do. Maybe you're not popular enough. Maybe you don't feel like you're attractive enough. Maybe you're not athletic enough, smart enough, rich enough, good enough. You're comparing, you're competing, and you feel like a loser. Who knows? All I know is if you want to find a way to feel like a failure, you're going to find it 
It's one of the easiest things that you'll ever be able to find in life. But listen, we see from Elijah that being used by God doesn't remove your need to be fueled by God. Being used by God, even in powerful ways, doesn't remove your need to be fueled by God. Listen, what God does through you can be supernatural, but you are not supernatural. And so we see this in a very real way that even though Elijah was used in supernatural ways, he was still human and he felt like a failure. And so what happened? God provided for him once again miraculously. He looks up and there's bread baked on hot stones. There's a jar of water there for him. And so what did he do? He ate and then he went back to sleep. But guess what? He didn't finish the food and so an angel of the Lord comes and shakes him in 1 Kings 19.7 and says, get up, eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. No, I love this. Because what does this tell, tell me? If God provides it, eat it. Man, this is simple today, but you and I are just people. And unshakable people are still people. And so when God provides it, eat it. How many times have you and I, and man, I am, I am so guilty of this. God's word is right there. Some of you got it right on your nightstand, right by your bed. And it's there every day. Some people call his word your daily bread. But, and God provided it, but you don't eat it. And man, sometimes we just need this angel of the Lord to shake us and say, get up, eat it. Or else the journey ahead of you is going to be too much for you. Now, I think this is a principle that we can all apply to our lives, that if you don't eat what God has provided, and I'm not talking about miraculously provided real bread and water, which is what Elijah needed at that time, but all the tools and resources that God has made available to you, his word, right? Being in community at church, serving. How many of you know that when you serve others in God's name, it fills your tank? It does. It doesn't drain it. It fills it. When you don't spend time with Jesus, man, you're not taking advantage of the fuel that he's made available to you. And so don't skip a spiritual meal. Why? Because you're still a person. What God can do through you is supernatural, but you are not. You need everything that he's got for you or else fear and thoughts of failure will eat you alive. We see that God sent manna to the Israelites. He sent his word to us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. So take advantage of everything that he's given you. Right? No leftovers. Eat it all every day. Everything he's got for you. Pursue it. Go after it. Don't take for granted what God provides to keep you going. After Elijah ate the food, he got up and he traveled 40 days and nights. God knew what he needed. God knows what you and I need. We've got to take advantage of what he provides for us. And then the fourth thing as we close today is that unshakable people don't stay alone. Unshakable people don't stay alone. So up, up until this point, Elijah, you know, we see through the previous text that he had a servant with him, but he had left his servant and he's off on his own, right? But it's not good to 
be alone. It's not good to stand alone. Sometimes as a leader, you do stand alone. Sometimes you do have to step out and kind of be the only one standing for what's right. When you're a leader, sometimes it's lonely. Man, I could share that as, as, as your pastor. Sometimes as the pastor, the lead pastor, it feels kind of lonely sometimes. It, it feels like, man, no one really understands what I'm going through. And I'm sure whatever you're going through, you felt that way sometimes too. I love what John Maxwell says. He says, it's lone, if it's lonely at the top, then you're doing something wrong. I love that because he's saying, if you're alone, it means that no one's following you. No one's with you. You haven't taken anybody with you. And so what does God say to Elijah? So Elijah's feeling alone. He's having a little bit of a pity party. And in 1 Kings 19, 9 through 10, this is what we see. It says, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love that. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Right? Can you just hear the, the, the pity in his voice? Oh, woe is me. I'm the only one. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever said that to your kids? I'm the only one in this house that does X, Y, Z. Right? I'm the, am I the only one that ever takes out the trash? Am I the only one that ever does the dishes? Am I the only one at your work that ever does the right thing? And so this is where Elijah was at. And so what does God say? Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. There was fire and the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was the sound of a, might, of a gentle whisper right? And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, if you read the passage, you'll see that God had just asked him that question. And we read what Elijah said. Guess what? Elijah says the exact same thing to God over again, like almost verbatim. I am the only one left. No one loves me. I'm going to go eat some worms, right? And so, same response, poor me, I'm the only one left. God responds, hey, get up. You're going to go, you're going to anoint a new king, you're going to find your successor, which is Elisha, you're going to train him up, let's go, we're not done, right? And so I, I just love this, God is like, pew, 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 pew. here's the plan, get on with it, let's go. And then in verse 17, God says something, man, that I just think is super special, super easy to kind of gloss over. He says, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So what is God saying to Elijah? Hey, you think you're the only one? You think you're the only one going through what you're going through? But no, I've got 7,000 others in Israel that have never bowed down to Baal and, and, and who have stayed unshakable. 
Elijah, you think you're the only one that has, has been strong and is doing all this cool stuff. No, 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 no. There's 7,000 others. So pick yourself up. Get on with it. Love it. And I think that God is saying that to you and me today. You think you're the only one that knows what you're going through, the, how, how hard it is and the pain of life and the pain of, of whatever you're going through. No. Look around. Man, I'm so pumped to look around this room on July 4. And if you're watching online today, we're so glad that you're watching online. But here in this room, man, we got a great crowd on July 4 weekend. Good job for coming to church. Good job for getting out of the house. You know, you were probably up late last night watching fireworks. But hey, we get to come here and look around and see there's others that are saying, Jesus, I want you to be first in my life. Jesus, I want you to have control of my life. And so God was saying this to Elijah, hey, don't do life alone. Hey, I got a successor for you. I've got somebody that's going to carry the torch. 7,000 others in Israel. Man, how encouraging must that have been to Elijah after he felt so alone. And so don't buy the lie that you're alone. Don't isolate yourself when you're hurting. Get in relationship. Get in a life group. Get on a ministry team. Invite somebody out to lunch today. Get with God's people and grow. So what do you need to do today? Do you need to walk in confidence? Walk in confidence. Maybe you've just been timid and God wants to cast the fear out of your life and you confidently follow Jesus. Do you need to put truth on display in your life? What, what is God calling? Who is God call, calling you to reach with this truth? Maybe you just need to start setting the example for your neighbors of what it means to love Jesus. How are you going to put the truth on display in your life? Maybe God's really pressing on your heart this morning. Don't skip a meal. You're human. You're just a person. So go out and get everything that God has for you in his word. Spend time in prayer. Maybe God's encouraging you this morning that you're not alone. You're not alone. Reach out in relationships with other people that are also following Jesus. And then I just want to remind you one last time. Remember, in the darkest times, if you're depressed, if you're falling apart, if life has shaken you to your core, that's where Christ's light shines brightest. Don't forget, this is what unshakable people remember. If you're in a dark place, Christ's light is going to shine. You put a candle in a dark room, it's going to light up the whole room. It's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life today. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. God, I pray for your people. God, I thank you for the truth in your word. And right now we just lay our lives at your feet. If you're here today and you say, Joe, I wanna, I wanna make that choice to follow Jesus. Just like Elijah said to the people of Israel, quit wavering, quit wavering. Choose who you're gonna serve. And today you're saying, Joe, it's time for me to choose Jesus. It's time for me to choose Jesus and only Jesus, that I'm gonna make him number one in my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow him for the rest of my life. Today, I wanna make that choice to put Jesus in the number one spot in my life. If that's you and you'd like to accept Christ as your savior today, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you today. Boldly say, Jesus, that's me. I'm here. I give my life to you, amen. And thanks for those of you that raised your hand. I just encourage you to pray a prayer at your seat. Say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. 
I believe you died for me on the cross. You rose again on the third day. Help me to follow you with my whole life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you are asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior today, we've got that gift for you in the lobby. Be sure and go and get it. We'd love to to put resources in your hand to help you follow Christ. If you've been following Jesus, but life is just shaking you to your core and you need to recommit to some of these things that we talked about today. Maybe you need to get your confidence back. Maybe you need to stop hiding the truth in your life that God's given you. Maybe you need to quit skipping meals. Whatever it is for you today, if, 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 if that's you, just raise your hand and say, God, help me. My hand's up today. Help me, Jesus. Just raise your hand to heaven and say, God, fill me anew. God, give me confidence. Help me to display your truth to a dying world. God, help me to to stay faithful and not quit skipping meals. Help me to seek after you, Jesus. Help me to lean on my friends that that know you. And God, help me to be honest about where I'm at with my friends that love you. Jesus, help me to seek out godly relationships. Be intentional in Jesus' name.